shows that we are live. Josh Sigurdsson of World Alternative Media. How are you, my friend? Great, Jimmy. As always, thank you very much for having me today. I, I really appreciate your work, as I have for many years now. So uh, it's good to be here. I appreciate that. And to anyone listening, so Josh is the guy that went to the Rishot structure. I made those videos starting back in 2018 about the Eye of the Sahara Atlantis theory. And then within a couple months, you were in Mauritania. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, I was watching your videos back when you didn't have that many followers. And I was really kind of in, enthused by all the things that you were talking about as far as ancient civilizations. You had a really good way of breaking them down. And when I saw um, this video on the reshot structure, I thought, okay, I need to, I need to check this out. A, a new site of Atlantis in the desert sounds absurd by, right. by all standards. But, you know, once I started watching your content on it and, and getting an idea of it, immediately I'm like, okay, well, I need to go there. Someone needs to go there. No, why is no one going there? I mean, I, I you'd look on Google back then and there'd be like two photos that weren't very good and a really pixelated old documentary. So I'm like, all right, I need to actually go on the ground and see this place for myself. And uh, because of uh, your video, Jimmy, um, it, it inspired me to actually go and talk to a few friends at a bar over drinks uh, years ago, back in 2019, beginning of 2019. And uh, I, I brought up, hey, maybe we should go to the reshot structure. And this guy was like, yeah, sure, let's let's do that. Let's uh, meet at this cafe at this time um, in May. And uh, then we'll hitchhike down from Spain. And I, the next day I call him, I'm like, you're kidding, right? You weren't actually serious about all that, right? And right. was it the like, beers uh, talking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he's like, no, I'm serious about it. I'm, I've already got my flight to Sevilla, Spain. We're going to meet at some cafe there and we're just going to hitchhike. So that's how it all kind of started. And it was a, a, a lot thanks to the, the great work that, that you did on your channel. Well, I have to say it was the most intrepid thing for you to just jump on and go. Um, I was blown away that you had done that and you took a dangerous path. You went through Morocco. So you're the one that went through the landmines and saw skeletons and, and all kinds of other things. And so we're going to talk all about that. But I also want to praise you uh, that you gained some notoriety a few years ago with some viral clips where you confronted Justin Trudeau. So you're uh, originally from Canada and yeah. you confronted him and humiliated him on live TV which is awesome because uh, fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, tell him what you did, how what happened with uh, like what, just to share the story with everybody. Oh, absolutely. So um, I had confronted Justin Trudeau three times prior, but one time it was the day before the election uh, in 2015. Uh, the second time I got tackled. The third time I got tased. Um, but the you fourth time, yeah, yeah. I jumped a fence to be fair at a gay pride parade. He was walking by in Vancouver. I was meeting a friend my friend Dan Dix from Press for Truth, we were going to have uh, a coffee and then go and do a bunch of videos. And it just happened. It was the day of the gay pride parade in Vancouver. And I was on my way to see him. And I see this guy. I'm like in, in a pink shirt. I'm like, that looks like Justin Trudeau. And I turn this corner and I see it was. So I climbed the fence naturally and ran at him. Bad idea. So, uh, yeah, I got tased that time. But <laughs> uh, but with that said, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, I, I back in March of 2017, uh, I found out I was going to take a day off after doing 30 something days of work. And my now wife, girlfriend at the time, she's like, uh, yeah, it looks it's like Justin Trudeau is coming tomorrow and he's going to be speaking at this daycare. And now at this point, it's 12 a.m. He's speaking at like 7 a.m. I'm thinking, oh, man, this is awful, but I need to do it. So I got no sleep, went over there, uh, no coffee, just out of it. And I show up at this place and, you know, they do the whole bomb sniffing thing and all that kind of stuff. Then he comes in for photo ops with a bunch of kids and they're playing with Play-Doh and I'm just waiting until there's no kids in the building to, to, to confront him. 
and the kids leave and he leaves for a minute. And uh, the government comes up to me and says, here are five questions you could pick from to ask him. And I said, well, I, I have my own questions. And they said, no, you can only ask one of these five questions. So <laughs> I said, well, I got my own question. They said, stand aside. So I ended up standing at the side of the room, already just shocked that I was in that room that they let me in after all the prior situations. But uh, yeah, I was standing there and then he, between questions, he does everything in English and French. And then uh, he waits a second. And in that moment, I, I said, uh, how do you justify people having to choose between feeding their families and heating their homes in the winter in rural communities due to your carbon tax? And to that, he said I was being rude and all that kind of stuff. And all these uh, government employees are grabbing me, throwing me up against the wall, choking me, hitting me, throwing me to the ground. And uh, it was pretty obvious that, you know, you can't actually be a journalist in Canada back then. But now it's more evident after the trucker stuff. But anyway, I'm, what year was that, by the way? This is uh, March of 2017. And uh, I can't believe it's been this long, but yeah. uh, it's like seven years. But um, yeah, I, I confronted him on that issue. I kept going. They told me to go behind the cameras. And so instead, I went in front of the cameras naturally because I do whatever I want. I'm gonna, as long as my, my whole motto for life is do whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting anybody. I went right. in front. I, I kept asking him the question. They pulled me out. There's video of, of him. He, he basically winked and smirked at me as I was getting pulled out of the door. Maybe and I got pissed off. So um, I said, shame on you. Uh, shame on you and your globalist uh, counterparts. You're a scumbag, an absolute scumbag. And that's what hit the news. And then all the newspapers, this is how they all work. Every mainstream media works together. Every single one copied and pasted the exact same article. They put World Alternative Media, the name of my channel, in small letters with asterisks around it, like acting like I was some crazy guy going, oh, I'm from World Alternative <laughs> Media. sound like a crazy person. And they never asked me for any information. They never asked me for a quote. They put up um, my image next to photos of people with Ted Cruz signs with guns uh, in, in Canada, which, by the way, isn't a good looking Canada um, because, you know, people are uh, not everyone. But I, I speak as a Canadian. People are very, you know, uh, timid there. Um, and, you know, with all that said, uh, yeah, I got I couldn't walk down the street for like weeks. It was the number one trend on Twitter worldwide for three days. Um, I was getting people spitting at me, throwing punches at me, throwing food at me, uh, attacking me because Canada back then, everyone loved Trudeau because of his hair and because he wanted to legalize yeah. weed. This, then this young, you know, charismatic guy, you know, it's like, yeah, different world back then in 2017. Now he can't to, walk down the street. Now he's the one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to warn people back then, like, Hey, eventually he'll come in with vaccine passwords. One day he'll like crack down on farmers. He'll do this stuff. Everyone's like, no, he has nice hair and he's going to legalize weed. And now people get it and it's fine. I went to Canada in January um, last year and not a fan of going there in January or at all in general. But uh, I was I was in my hometown of Winnipeg and they, uh, you know, every place I went, people remembered me from that or they found out about it from someone else. And everyone was super nice. Like suddenly it shifted and it's amazing how much has shifted in seven years. But yeah, I mean, that's that was a big one. Um, it ended up all over the media. And to this day, no mainstream media has ever reached me for comment. And it's gone viral on TikTok and Instagram so many times, tens of millions of views on that video. And, um, you know, I've, I've never seen anyone come to my channel because of it, because, you know, no one ever actually tags my stuff or my links in there. But, um, mm. you know, it is interesting because it was this kind of shock, culture shock. People started wearing hats in Canada that said scumbag Trudeau. Uh, again, I never made a single sale or a cent off of that, but it was really cool to see. It just all blew up. And uh, 
I'm really proud of that moment, but it, it kind of bothers me because it's only it's been seven years since then, and I really need to pick pick it up and do something else. One of the reasons I ended up going to the reshot structure is like I need to do something ridiculous, and there it was, and I'm you know it, it's just been an adventure ever since. Yeah, two things to say. One, this get that clip going again of you confronting him. Even it's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah, um, and <laughs> I think that you know it's a, just a people enjoy watching it, and it doesn't matter that it was a number of years ago. I think people you know enjoy seeing him being called a scumbag to his face. Yeah, um, yeah, because that's epic. But the only thing more epic than that is going to the. So you say reshot, I say reshot. Like I've been saying it wrong. I remember the first video I made on, I call it the Rickot. Like. Um, you know, is it tomato? I think at one point you called it the recart. Uh, yeah, oh, I mean, it, we've all had our different ways of saying it because honestly, none of them are really actually true. If you go to the site, it's a well better shot, and um, they put like an e sound on the i. That's the only reason I've taken the reshot because it's just a fraction of the actual name. Say it and, again one more time. I'm sorry. Uh, every shot. It's okay. uh, it's like a French word for for the site that they have in Mauritania anyway. Uh, if you go to Wadan or to um, you know, Atar or one of those places nearby. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of the most fascinating places I've ever been in my life. Um, I mean, I I still have some blue stones that I got there. And remember, this is a massive structure. I don't usually take from uh, anything that's ancient, but I mean, it was a rock this big and it was blue. And it's just so amazing when you look at it from the sky and it looks blue, like a blue eye. There really is a bunch of blue rocks and red rocks and black rocks on the ground. It's absolutely fascinating. Real quick. So when you had saw my video on it, was that the first time you had heard of, of the wrist shot of the eye of the Sahara or had you seen it before? I never heard of the place in my life. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, these days because of your video, it's gone so mainstream now that you like people hear about it everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and, you know, I, I was watching, I was playing poker last week with some friends and uh, we're sitting there and we're just playing videos of cool, amazing sites around the world uh, in the background on, on the TV uh, from YouTube. And it just keeps showing the reshot structure. And I'm going, you know, every time I'm like, Hey, everyone shut up. I, I was there, you know, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, the first time I ever heard of it, it's amazing. You'd think you'd hear about it in, uh, you know, hit on history channel or, you know, on one of these uh, national geographic or something, right. but there's like nothing on it. it so yeah, it, it blew my mind. And, you know, at first I thought that's too circular to possibly be natural. I do think that it was a natural site that was built upon and carved into, but we'll go into that and stuff later. But yeah, right. uh, it's one of those sites that it's so big, it's shocking that more people don't know about it. Yeah, that's one thing I, I say to people is that the only thing stranger than the site itself and all the matching similarities to what Plato would describe as the lost city of Atlantis, the only thing stranger than all that is the fact that so few people have ever seen or heard of it before. And I've met some very interesting people and like nobody, even television producers haven't heard of this right. thing. And that's the thing, it's like, I tell people, I'm like, hey, you know, Atlantis aside, like this is truly one of the most unique geological features anywhere on Earth. It matches like there's nothing, there's no other site on Earth like it. Um, and although I think it is by far the most likely location for the lost city of Atlantis, if nothing else, you know, it brings into questions like when you see that vast water erosion um, through satellite imagery of uh, the Sahara Desert, like this is a site of, of importance and, um, and, any true scientist uh, will say that it is indeed a mystery. Like I, yeah. I'm with you. I think that it was a, it's geological in nature. It's a natural formation. It may have been geoengineered by people. I think if nothing else, it would make sense that humans would have built on it. Cause some people, <laughs> it drives me nuts. Like the number one argument against the Atlantis wrist shot theory is that, Oh, it can't be, it's a natural formation. Yeah. And I'm like, 
It kills no, it's, me, Josh. It's, it's absurd. It's, it's absurd, Jimmy, because if you think about it, the pyramids were built on natural formations. I mean, th there's big mounds underneath the pyramids that were, right. and I believe that they built tunnels under there and then they built, uh, that's the subterranean chamber, and then they built a pyramid on top of it. And I mean, all these sites, so many sites around the world were originally mounds. Um, Cholula in, in Mexico, oh. one of, it's like the biggest in mass, I think, uh, of yeah. any pyramid in the world. And they, the one that they kept building on top of and grassed over and they put a temple on top. I mean, that that site as well, big mound underneath. It's it's normal for people to build on natural mounds, uh, just like you would build on, Man, you know, Manhattan Island. Uh, right. Of course, because well, you have you have an island there. It, you're not going to build in the water. You're going to build above the water. And that's what civilizations do. And in the case of Atlantis, it makes perfect sense. Imagine the symbology of it among people that are following their gods to this new land and right. it's so advanced and you find the site that at that time would have had jungle terrain around it would have had water yeah. coming into it it would have been amazing and it's insane to think that anyone wouldn't build on top of it well and the thing is is that the same people that will say oh i think it's the azores islands i you know they'll say it's the rishok can't be atlantis it's a natural formation of course it's the azores and I'm like, well, wait a second. Are the Azores Islands or any islands for that matter not natural formations? Yeah. Is the is the that the one argument? I'm like, it just makes no sense. Um, but it's all in fun. I love like these debates because even I can admit, like, I'm not. We can't say with 100% certainty that yeah. Atlantis existed or that if it did, that the Rishots it. I just think that because of the fact that there's more than a dozen the most consequential similarities to what Plato had described match the Rishot specifically concentric circles, three of water, two of land, which would match the natural rich shot with water in it, opening to the sea at the south, red, black, white color stones, mountains to the north, which of all names were called, are called the Atlas Mountains, which just yeah. so happens to be the very, the name of the first king of Atlantis. Um, and there's many other similarities to all the gold. Like, so we got to get into this because I was on a podcast yesterday and they were asking, why are people like digging and ex, you know exploring it, I'm like it's forbidden. Uh, Mauritania is protecting their gold, and it turns out that they have vast gold deposits. Um, I've yeah. been, you know, so explain what happened. You show up there with Graham. I can't remember his last name, but he has the channel, uh, the account Archaic Lens on Twitter, and he brought the ground penetrating radar. And you get in country. What did they say to you guys about that? Well, so he went separately. He flew in. Uh, so. Okay. Um... I actually met him in the middle of the reshot structure. We were, uh, myself and my my friends, uh, Micah and, and Anam, were a little bit late getting there um, because we were going through minefields and stuff and held at gunpoint and all this other stuff. And then there were no trains or anything. So we just had to find random people on the street to pay to bring us there and hope we weren't killed. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we get to the middle of the reshot structure and Graham is there and he has a ground penetrating radar. We had been talking for a couple months beforehand about making sure this happened. Cause I was going to fly someone in with a ground penetrating radar, but he's like, I got this. But when we got there, um, we couldn't do it because, uh, well, he was, he was told that it was illegal and that you could get in a lot of trouble if you use it. So he decided not to use it. I respect his personal decision on that. Uh, he's used it since, um, in, uh, you know, ladder adventures over there but not not none of my documentary um but by the way after two hours of my documentary because that was 30 that was a 30 hour thing that i did and like yeah. in, in footage and I, I had to cut it down to three hours people go crazy about how long it was but i i, I urge anyone out there to try cutting down 30 hours of footage when there's so many different things that you have to intertwine into it but uh yeah um we people got two hours in and they're like 
wait, he didn't use it, but I, I, I appreciate him um, trying and doing all that kind of stuff. I, I don't have anything negative to say about him, but it's just, yeah, it was a very frustrating experience because I almost died. And then, um, right. yeah, uh, you know, but with that said, we did find some really interesting stuff there. I mean, again, they do have really strict rules in Mar Mauritania, but like I live in Mexico, you, you, you know, well, after a while traveling to different places that rules in the United States and Canada aren't the same as rules in Egypt or in Mauritania or in Mexico or wherever you might go. You know, everything is. I don't want to say negotiable, but I'm going to say negotiable. So uh, at at that point, you know, when back then, I think a lot of us, when we were going to the reshot structure for the first time, we were absolutely not terrified, but concerned for our life if we do something that is off limits, because it's a different country, different, you know, uh, type of uh, uh, culture. And uh, many things we've all heard have gone wrong in many other places when guys like me just go waltzing into a place that like people don't usually go to. And I saw that myself with the amount of times that they pointed guns at my head and had no trigger discipline whatsoever. Um, that, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, a thing that I need to be cautious about. Um, so there were issues with, uh, there's iron there, there's copper, I believe, and there is um, a lot of gold. And there's also massive salt deposits, which add to a, a lot, uh, add a lot to the story that we're dealing with here with it potentially being Atlantis and having salt water come over there. There's you evidence of it. seashells that I've tasted it. Yeah. I mean, you I, went to, let me just say to yeah. people listening, like I was making a big point a few years ago saying, uh, aren't these white, are these water blemish, or excuse me, these white blemishes that you can see in satellite imagery, isn't this salt? And I no. started reading about uh, various articles on how, uh, there are salt caravans in Mauritania and throughout the region. It's exported like salt is on surface, yeah. the surface level of Mauritania. And I'm like, this is salt, which I think could be indicative that seawater had settled and evaporated there. And yeah. then you go out there because some people are like, no, it's not. And I'm like showing articles. I'm like, yes, it is. But I didn't show the articles in the video when I first suggested it. And so the internet's doing their debate. You go there, you bend down, you pick it off and you're like, that's salt. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how much I got made fun of by my friends when I got back on that one. I The amount of memes coming out about me eating salt went went all the way to Atlantis, found salt, like stuff yeah. like that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely was. And when you get there, the ground is so perfectly packed in like a seabed. I mean, we're talking mm -hmm. if, if someone tried to build something so precise, it, you know, made of wood or something like that, there'd still be more of a groove to it. I mean, if you put your head right to the ground there and looked off on the bottom of the of the rings, it was flat for a mile. And I mean, that's at eye level, uh, half an inch from the ground. So I, I found it fascinating how flat it was and how hard it was to pick apart the ground. Like if you tried to like break the the mud in the ground, the, mm. the, the soil in the ground, you couldn't. You'd break your fingernail trying to dig into there. Oh, wow. And um, I found this one spot. I, I made them sh stop the vehicle and it's right by this long line. Of, of stones that was going for a, like a, a mile as well and it was a perfectly straight line and um i tried to look into it i tried to, but the rocks moved i it just seemed like someone might have actually put that up in recent times but um unlike what we see from google earth where you could obviously see miles and miles of actual straight lines in like embedded into the earth but uh, i saw the salt patch i made the driver stop i jump out I, I'm like, I need to, I don't have anything with me at this point. Everything was either confiscated or uh, was too dangerous to bring in anything, testing kits, everything. I mean, we're talking some of the harshest immigration I've ever had to deal with. Uh, so I'm like, I need to do something. And I saw this patch of salt and I dug into it. I ate some of it. 
Um, a lot of people told me it could have been many other things that could have potentially killed me. Uh, I was not thinking at the time. I, I don't usually think when I do these things. I just do it. It's the same when I confront Justin Trudeau. I just start running after him. I don't, I'm not <laughs> the brightest when I'm doing these things. But um, I, I eat it, and it was like clear as day. It was salt. And, you know, I've, I've heard, I've never seen the seashells myself, but I've heard countless reports about seashells around the region. Uh, that far inland, we're talking almost a distance between like Los Angeles and Las Vegas. I mean, it's a very, very long distance in. Right. But then when you start looking at the terrain around there, the mountains all look like they have uh, immense amounts of water erosion on them, which you'd expect from a jungle in the past. But also, right. um, you know, side to side, um, you know, as far as the landscape goes, um, water erosion, which seemed to show that there was water at one point splashing up against the rocks as well. And it made sense to me that there would be salt that far inland. I mean, we have Salt Lake City, but we also know and scientists agree that, you know, the ocean, we had massive amounts of rainfall and salt, salt rain and, and water from the ocean reaching far inland. But they say millions and millions of years ago. The issue with Mauritania right. is uh, seashell takes 48,000 years to become um, to become petrified, to become a fossil. Um, and, and if you look at the seashells that people have found there, they're not fossilized, which tells you it has to be before 48,000 years ago. And add in the fact that there aren't a lot of things, you know, uh, bacterial things affecting the shell. It might even take longer than 48,000 years uh, to fossilize. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's there. You could see it and it looks brand new. And it looks no different than the, the seashells you could pull up in North Carolina. So um, from that perspective, it made me wonder a lot about the ocean getting up to there. And also, you've done a lot of content on this as well, as how the rivers kind of broke apart Africa into multiple different sections. Mm -hmm. um, the land where the reshot structure is now used to be a lot lower. The water used to be a lot higher. We see the uh, effect of a massive uh, deluge in the Sahara Desert. That's clear as day. You look at Google Map. One of my yeah. favorite ways to tell people about the reshot structure is in, in case I'm, I'm going to sound completely crazy, if I just show them a video, I say, hey, go on Google Maps. Let's go and like zoom out of where you are, satellite mode, and zoom in to the, the reshot structure because they don't believe it if you show them pictures on Google. They think it's fake. Right. You show them on Google Maps, it's right there. And then the right. more I show them, I say, zoom out and tell me what you see coming in uh, to the desert, reaching up to the reshot structure. And they say, well, it looks like something got like sandblasted through there. I said, yeah, it looks like something really big happened, right? They're like, yeah. Uh, well, wh what would do that? Uh, it's coming from the ocean. It's clearly flood water. And yep. it takes about five minutes to convince someone that this could be the site. Because when you first tell someone Atlantis is in the desert, yeah. they the say Sahara. insane. Yeah. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. But there's just so much pointing to it, Jimmy. And you've done so many videos, it's impossible to break down in one video. That's why you've done so many of them is because, I mean, come on, the the evidence is out there. Of course, it's not 100%. I started losing my faith in it being Atlantis when I first got into it. And then by the end of it, the more I researched, the more I thought back about it. And the more I thought about them building on top of already existing formations. And the fact that I saw the salt, I saw... Um, everywhere in the nearby towns, eyes on all the structures, people painted eyes everywhere. It was really strange. And That's there's, amazing. you know, all these things that David Stig Hansen later found as well out there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it, to me, it's like a 90, 95%, um, compared right. to any other place in the entire world. And I mean, that's just how I feel. The, the Atlantic right. ocean used to reach up to that point. I believe it. So. And you know what else? Just to uh, go off like the seashells. So I found a scientific paper and I include this in my more recent video 
But there's a study that shows that there was mollusks, which include seashells uh, and other aquatic life, that was yeah. inside the Rishat dated between 7,700 and 15,000 years ago, wow. right in the middle of when Atlantis was said to exist. And it's like, so the water was there. People say, oh, it's 1,300 feet above sea level today. It couldn't possibly have been there. Well, the Taman Rissat River flowed right through it, which is another similarity is that Atlantis was said to have a river to the north uh, coming off the mountains. Mm -hmm. And that river, the Taman Rissat, which is now dried up, um, existed at that exact same period of time as Atlantis and originated from the Atlas Mountains and flowed right either right through the Rishad or right north of it. And, and that's the theory is that, um, you know, they had channeled the water in through it uh, because people need to understand. They'll say, well, it's not an island. It can't be. But the word that's used uh, from ancient Greek is Nessos and Nesson, which describes the word island. But it turns out that had five different meetings. Yeah. Uh, promontory. Um, uh, but uh, a few or a handful of them, but one, the most key one is land within a continent surrounded by lakes, rivers, or springs. And I'm like, that matches the Rishot structure. Absolutely. Um, I have a few important questions I want to ask you that I think people will enjoy. Let me really quick read off my two sponsors. They can knock that out and get that out of the way, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, the first one is by, uh, the company BioOptimizers. I highly recommend that you check them out. Um Basically, mine was a pretty easy, like, you know, focusing on like my well-being here in the new year. And so if I could just share one thing involving sleep and overall well-being is taking the number one mineral for that, uh, which is magnesium. Magnesium breakthrough by bio-optimizers. The seven different forms of magnesium in this supplement are involved in over 300 enzymatic reactions in the body. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded when you take magnesium from the quality of your sleep to the function of your brain, from metabolism to stress levels. Um, and let's face it, if your 2024 um, you know, goal is to get healthier, well, it needs to start with a good night's sleep. This is proven. Sleep is one of the best things for our overall health. And so do yourself a favor and take magnesium breakthrough as part of your daily routine this year so you can get your vitality and conquer your dreams. Go to bio www.biooptimizers.com slash bright insight now and enter promo code bright insight to get 10% off any order. Again, that's biooptimizers.com slash bright insight and link is in the description. Now, my next sponsor is birchgold.com. Diversify your savings. Let me see. Can you see that on your screen, brother? I can't see it right now. Okay. Thank you. Let me just bring that up real quick so <laughs> I can not mess that up. One second. We'll do it live, as Bill yeah. O'Reilly yeah. would say. <laughs> do it live. We're doing it live. You can see that now, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I see it. Let me just read this off real quick for everybody. So diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. It's Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year now. And uh, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce Silver Eagle coin for free. Visit birchgold.com slash brightinsight to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver to have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's precious metal specialist help convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you a free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it to yourself or give it away as a stocking stuffer next year for Christmas. Uh, whatever it is, it's an excellent gift. Just visit, visit birchgold.com slash bright insight to claim your eligibility. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, now is the best time to buy gold and visit birchgold.com. Again, birchgold.com slash bright insight to claim your eligibility now. Thank you so much for allowing me to read off these sponsors. They treat me real good. They are advocates for free speech and the fact that they're willing to support me makes me love them. They've been vetted, they're excellent companies. So link in the descriptions. With that being said, so, okay, you say that you lean heavily on the uh, the, the Rishot structure. 
What is it about it that you think, like having visited there, what was it that surprised you most? Well, it's, it, it, people always kind of laugh when I say this, but there's a feeling around there. There's a really strange feeling around there. And, and look, I, I've, I've always seen Atlantis as um, a, a civilization, not just one city. There's like a, the, the big city and then there's all these other things. And it might not have even been called Atlantis. It might have been translated over time. I mean, that's what the Greeks called it. But I mean, right. the point is we know there was an ancient civilization that was advanced that managed to make all these satellite cities all over the world. Um, we see that from the fact that all these ancient civilizations have the exact same origin stories, slightly tweaked, which is kind of like the historical game of telephone where you keep telling people the same thing. It's going to be a little bit different, but it's still the same because we're bringing it down generation by generation. But I mean, you know, in places like uh, the reshot structure, there's a town called Wadan around it that was just so incredibly fascinating that a lot of people don't talk about. And there's a lot of ancient ruins around there that are supposedly unrelated. But we also know there's like stone structures that go back, you know, thousands of years as well. Again, right. um, there's a lot of evidence that there that most of the stuff is under the sand right now. But um, one place that wasn't under the sand was Wadan. And it's just, it's the closest town to the reshot structure. It's right on the outer edge of the, I guess you could say tear duct of the eye. And it is a fascinating ancient town with mud brick and uh, stone homes piled on top of a hill. Um, I snuck around to that town after curfew because you're not allowed out at night uh, around there. Um, they Wait. have armed security everywhere. What do you uh, mean you're not allowed? Like it's illegal? Yeah. Yeah. They have watchdogs and everything. It was terrifying because we're getting night photography done. Um, and we're like sneaking around at, oh man, it must have been like uh two in the morning one in the morning and all these dogs that can see us but we can't see them because there's absolutely no lights on outside and no street there. lamps no, no. nothing this yeah. is an, people need to understand this is an impoverished third world country if there ever was one correct you've been to many places around the world uh um, yeah all right so so keep going i'm sorry so these dogs can see you the dogs can see us. We can't see them, which gave me a bit more confidence because I look like way braver than I am because I, I don't even realize I'm just staring down a bunch of dogs because I can't see them. They could see me. And they're probably thinking, OK, this guy's just staring us down. We're probably not going to want to mess with him. Uh, meanwhile, I'm thinking, oh, shit, there's dogs that are coming after me here. And I'm, I can't see a thing. I'm like taking my phone. But I can't use a, a flashlight on the phone for more than a second because guards will see me. So we're literally sneaking around armed guards at night in an area that they claim is full of kidnapping. It's only a few in the last 10 years. It's not that crazy. But uh, <laughs> there's more in Chicago. OK, but, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, trying to get photos from the bottom of the hill of the ancient city and. We got these amazing shots. My friend Anum got like these amazing shots with uh, the, all the stars and everything above the ancient um, city, which people still live in these collapsed, you know, mud structures from a thousand years ago. And I did a video on it, um, just walking around Wadan that uh, is on my channel. But I mean, that was one of the amazing aspects of it. Just going around to those places, there's petroglyphs nearby. There's all these, um, you know, cliffs that, I mean, they just drop off so far like you get to the edge of these cliffs uh and they're all just made of magmatic stone with like carvings ancient carvings written into the stone which i recorded in a few videos and um you you go to these places there's old shelters in these caves around there and you look off the cliff by chingetti and it's like it feels like it looks like a mile down if you fell off the cliff and then there's just a little house in the middle of the valley. I mean, it was just such an amazing experience hanging out in caves and they have like this herb that everyone smokes there. Not, not weed. It's like they have this stuff that they put into a pipe and they pull out of a bag and you basically end up smoking with them out of a pipe in a, in a 
little cave somewhere on the side of a mountain. Just a, a, a magical place that I wouldn't want to live, but uh, really interesting to visit. Um, and then, of course, um, because of your videos, by the way, <laughs> uh, the, you know, the tourism has grown dramatically over there. And I mean, they should, the Mauritanian government should be paying you for your videos, but, uh, the, the, yeah, but like the, the tourism over there has blown up. Um, so there's all these like old ladies sitting there selling little goodies and trinkets right alongside the eye of the Sahara now, because they're like, there's an opportunity. We're impoverished. This guy yeah. just brought a bunch of people out here and now maybe we can make $5 more a month. But, um, with that, yeah, I mean, inside the structure itself, the stones were like, polished like they you 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 put your thumb on them and and, and they'd squeak they, i mean we're like talking polished like like river rocks or something like, like a that, gr or? granite countertop on in a kitchen like it like we're talking perfectly like squeaky um you know so, uh, soft stones and that's wow. mixed in of course with magmatic stones it smelled like uh it smelled like tar there everything really smelled like burnt rubber and tar um which i well, found that's fascinating in a lot of places in outside of Vegas in the desert, there's parts of there's some places with black stone and you get kind of the same smell. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I noticed that it, it was like asphalt, tar and, and, and stuff like that. And it's just in the middle of the desert, just dirt and bedrock around you. Yeah, there's just this really strong smell of tar. And wow. then you just see these random rocks that look like they used to be something. And we're talking like pure iron. And I have one video of myself picking up this piece that burnt my hand. I ended up having getting burns all over my hand, touching it. It's probably been there for, you know, thou a thousand years. Who knows? Not a lot of people walk through there. I'd be an odd guy with a goat, I guess, every now and then, a Bedouin or something. But like I found this 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 big piece of metal on the ground. And in the in the documentary, you could hear me pick it up because it sounded like I was pulling like a pipe across a, across cement or something. And I pick it up and it, it felt like almost hollow. Um, it was pretty heavy. It was metallic. And if you like knock on it, it made a ringing sound and it looked like it, it had a handle on it. It looked like it was carved out of, out of something. And it always bothered me. I, I didn't bring it back, but it was like this big. It, it was too big to try and get out of the country with. And besides, I really did not need to end up 10 years in prison in Mauritania for taking out a giant piece of iron. But um, right. the point is like, I, the, the more I, I saw the rocks around there, I dug around there. There's old wells that go really deep. The more I, I realized that um, they're most, and by the way, the wells have fresh water at the bottom. So explain that when we have salt on the surface. Right. Um, so, you know, the more I walked around there, the more evidence I saw that at least someone that at least cut metal and, and, you know, built with uh, stone and metal were there at some point because there's just piles of it everywhere and, and really strange mixtures of rocks that you don't usually see in geology. If you go different uh, in different parts of the world, like if you go to Greece, you're going to find a whole bunch of the same weird marble looking and, and white melted looking rock everywhere. And I've, I've seen that it's everywhere around Greece in Egypt. You're going to see a lot of limestone and, and stuff like that and granite. Um, in Mauritania, you see a lot of strange mixtures of iron and like blue stone and red stone and black stone that just don't match each other. They're very different. They're from different origins, but they're all mixed together, piled up, um, especially around the center of, of the reshot. So uh, there's a lot of stuff. It, it, I could, it could be explained by some dude went over there and just gathered a bunch of rocks and started piling them up from different parts of the country. But why would that happen? So it, it's right. just, you know. Uh, just interesting stuff that I don't think I've talked about before that, uh, you know, kind of stood out to me, but I mean, most of all, it was that 
this thing was so vast. It, it was like people don't realize how high these rings are. Like they're massive. When you're on the ground looking up, these things are big. And you see all down here, it looks like water was in there and it looks flattened by water. And it, it seems like it was pulled out um, at one point in time in, in some kind of catastrophe. You go up on top of the rings, however, and they, there's no, no similarities at all. It's totally different terrain. It's loose stone piled up and everything. And it really clearly shows that water washed out the bottom. The top wasn't touched by water, except for at least some kind of blast that blew up the bedrock because everything was pulled out from the bottom layers. And it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it, it had to have happened thousands of years ago, right? Well, but no one's touched it. Nothing's changed. Those rocks are, it's still solid and, and, salt everywhere and flattened in the lower layers while the top is, you know, totally loose stone. So I think that is further evidence that points to it um, being at least a site that was, um, you know, hitting the ocean and was hit by a massive catastrophe at some point. How tall are the rings? And did you estimate? Oh, yeah, that that's something I've been asked a few times, just from eyeing it out. Some of them look like oh, uh, 50 meters uh, to 100 okay. meters. Okay. Um, I mean, we're not talking like imposing mountains, but we're talking, you know, significant enough that they have cliff faces on the side of them. And, you know, there's one part where you can kind of find a gradual area that because of sand that's that's washed up into the bottom, the southern part of the reshot, where you can kind of drive up onto one of the ridges. But um, it, it's like really sketchy and uh, you're driving like basically up and. That's how I got up on one of them. But um, yeah, as far as height, I, look, I'm really bad at measuring height by my eyes, but I would say it could be 50 to 100. I could be totally off. It could be 200. But I know that they're really high and they're imposing. And when the sun hits it, when the sun starts going down, it casts a shadow across the whole, um, you know, ringed area. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. How long were you up there for? So I was out there for an entire day and I tried to stay longer. Um, and it was just such a insane experience getting out there that it took us over a week to get there. And we went through life and death situations multiple times. And then we got there and then we couldn't use a ground penetrating radar. And we were not allowed. We, we either had to leave immediately after um, spending the day there or we had to stay overnight and then miss our upcoming flights. And my friend would have lost his job. So it was just like one of those awful situations. Right. And the, the idea was to go back in uh, 2020 and do extensive research over there. And I had it all ready to go. And, um, you know, I was I was corresponding with you a little bit at the time. And we we're kind of saying, let's see what happened. But then the lockdowns happened. So, right. you know, and then it kind of it, it put it off dramatically. And then I ended up seeing you in Egypt because it was like, yeah, perfect. I was. When you mentioned <laughs> Egypt earlier, I was going to mention that we were there together in November, December 2020, which was such one. It was so much fun to connect there in person. Yeah. But also we were traveling the world at a time when a lot of people were at home um, and fearful of COVID. And we saw firsthand how Cairo, which is one of the largest metropolitan areas literally by population, it's estimated between so between 21 and 25 million people in the Cairo metropolitan area, it is so densely populated as you yeah. saw and like 99 out of hundred people or more not wearing masks and, and everything was fine. Like, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. Where's yeah. COVID? You know, it's yeah. like when people were actually traveling and not staring at the TV and telling them, letting CNN tell them what to think. Um, it's like life was normal there. They didn't do oh, any lockdown. Jimmy, I mean, when I, when I first got there, the whole reason I was in Montenegro before, 
Um, cause I, I spent 2020, uh, between March, 2020 and October, 2022, I went to 31 countries. And in that time I, uh, never got a swab up the nose. I obviously never got injected or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was really interesting cause I was always just going off of day to day, what different governments were saying. And I was in Montenegro, the health minister in Egypt said, we will never lock down again. I'm like, okay. So I jumped on a plane two days later ended up in Cairo. By the way, if you're staying in Egypt, the middle of Cairo downtown, you'd think the middle of downtown in the city is where you want to stay. Eh, not quite. But um, I, I remember after like five days of being there, I saw my first mask and it was uh, it was a white dude that was from the US that was a tourist there. And I'm like, dude, if you're afraid, like why are you traveling to a place that has leaded gas where the walls are stained black after like three days? And you're walking around wearing a COVID mask, like seriously, like it, it, everyone gets sick when they go to Cairo, by the way, this is a well-known thing. If you mm -hmm. stay there for an, any extended period of time, you're going to get sick because you're breathing in crazy stuff and your body has to get used to it. Yeah. So like I you think, just said, leaded gas people. I never, yeah. I thought that wasn't a thing anymore. <laughs> leaded gas. Yeah. I, I know wow. when I told people, I remember my father saying years ago to me that, yeah, I went to Mexico back in the eighties. They still had leaded gas, even in the eighties. Now we're talking like 2020 and they still have leaded gas in Egypt. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but wild. Um, and it, by the way, it affects your emotions and everything. It, lead in the brain causes you to, and by the way, lead is the most efficient, efficient way to run a car. It actually is really good for a vehicle. It's just oh. going to kill you. So uh, okay. you can't have it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, being in Egypt in that time was such a fascinating experience because it's one of the only times in the last 2000 years where, because the Egyptian pyramids have been tourist attractions for thousands of years. It's like the only time in 2000 years that it's been that dead over there. Like no right. one went to the pyramids. I was walking around the pyramids on multiple occasions, completely by myself. The coolest, yeah. most, you know, famous structure in the world and most mysterious structure. I'm telling guides, can you leave? I just want this whole building to myself. And they're like, right. okay, here's five bucks. Okay, cool. And it was just a, a situation that I've never seen. It'll never happen again. And yeah. I hope to God it doesn't. I got some fantastic photos um, because people that haven't been there to, to Egypt, they don't understand. Like it's, it's like Disneyland. You have people from all over the world, Asia, particularly traveling there. And just, it is a, it's, it's a site, right? Millions of people travel to Egypt uh, to visit these, these amazing, uh, amazing ancient relics. But in 2020, it's like we literally had te various temples all to ourselves. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, and then when I was there a couple, you know, a year after, um, or even actually the last time I was there was this last September. And boy, was was Egypt busy. Uh, the Great Pyramids, you know, everything was just a zoo of people. I mean, it's really interesting to think about the historical context of us being able to stay in those places and go to these places when there's no one there. I mean, you can't, it doesn't feel quite like Indiana Jones when there's a, a 40 person lineup to take an Instagram yeah. photo. It, yeah. It's nice to be able to actually kind of just have it to yourself to study, to understand. And you really do understand it more without the distraction of all the people. The only issue, of course, being back then the salesmen were super poor and were like, there's, you could not walk anywhere without like you're the only guy walking around so they just like gang up on you you have to buy this magazine this calendar this scarf and yeah i under i totally understand why they're doing it but like my goodness that that was the only downside i mean other than that i mean it was an amazing experience driving across the country throughout uh you know down to aswan and places like that just fascinating uh you know karnak temple nobody in karnak temple walking around that place by myself like right before i met up with you there the yeah. same day and I'm, the sun is setting and there's literally no one and there's like a jackal dog walking around like out of out, you know out of the 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 
you know, graffiti uh, on, uh, you know, all the different uh, uh, artworks around you. You just see this black dog with a big, tall, pointy ears walking yeah. around in the sunset in a temple with it's just I'll, I'll never experience anything like that again. I wish I could. But first, you'd have to shut down the world again. And I don't want that to happen. So No, uh, Egypt is so wild. A lot of my parents were just there uh, a couple months ago, uh, first time they'd ever been. And they described it as wild, like people in the state, like you have people still use horses there as a mode of transportation. You have camels in the streets. You have literally horse and buggy mixed in with cars on the freeways yeah. and, and camels and donkeys um, and, you know, packs of wild dogs um, because like virtually nobody has a pet dog out there. They they think they're dirty and. Oh. And awful it, stuff happens to dogs out there. Yeah. Yeah. They don't treat dogs nicely out there. It's heartbreaking. Um, but it's interesting seeing these packs of wild dogs, like on the Giza plateau, they live yeah. on the pyramids. Like they, they go up, you know, several, uh, flights, uh, to avoid people. And you see them just being wild, wild, undomesticated dogs. It's truly yeah, they're, uh, dogs are allowed to climb the pyramids. We're not yeah. life is unfair, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, that's the next thing I'd want to do. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Uh, but climbing the pyramid is because it's highly illegal. It's punishable up to 30 days in a Cairo jail, which would not be good for someone like me. Um, and they'll they'll find you 100,000 Egyptian pounds, which isn't a lot now. It's like, <laughs> well, that's like 3,000 US or so now. Yeah. Um, but um, there was this YouTuber guy that that climbed it illegally. He got caught instantly. Like, well, they saw him initially climbing up and he just ran and they didn't follow him. They waited for him to come down. And I guess he spent like seven days in a Cairo jail. He's never been more sick in his life. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't treated good. And he said it was literally the worst experience he's ever had. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not worth it to me. So I'll, I'll play by the rules, but you can't even buy a ticket to, to climb the Egyptian pyramid It's just off limits to everybody now. Yeah. They've, they've allowed, I think, uh, three people in the past while. And it was like, one of them was an Egyptian guy and, um, that he, they, he was allowed. He's one of the few people that paid and got a license to do it really out by antiquities. And then he starts, uh, he gets to Cairo from New York. And he is Egyptian initially, but he, he was living, I think, in New York. He gets to Cairo and the, the, they, they conscripted him into the military as soon as he got there. So as it punishment? wasn't, it, no, it wasn't a punishment. It wasn't timed. It just happened that as an Egyptian, you're supposed to spend a certain time in the military. He hit a certain age as soon as he got there and it came up on the records and he was either forced to leave the country and not climb the pyramid or get conscripted for like one year or something in the military. So, I mean, imagine... Imagine like you, you're one of the few people in history that gets the right to actually do this. And then you get thrown into the Egyptian military, by the way, not the best time to be in the Egyptian military. So yeah, that uh, region's crazy now. My goodness. I, I heard that story years ago because it was before I went to Egypt and I was thinking there must be a way because, you know, there's, there's a, a way to get to a lot of places in Egypt that most people aren't necessarily allowed to go to, including on military bases, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of effort to get uh, through that. It's not even necessarily illegal. The antiquities ministry does actually grant people certain stuff like that. Like, uh, uh, Eli El I believe it was called the oh, yeah, underground I, pyramid. Yeah. The one that was buried uh, by garbage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's literally they consumed it with trash and tough limits and heartbreaking. El Awiyan, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and that I talked to the antiquities ministry when I was there. Uh, a guy who was friends with a guy. Everyone in Egypt that t drives a taxi knows someone apparently. And this guy gets me on the phone with a guy at the university, and he's like, "I can show you it, but there's nothing to see. It's just a pile of garbage." And I said, "There's no way to kind of dig into." And he's like, "No, of course not. That'd be millions of dollars and all these permits. We can't do that." 
So I did have the opportunity to go and stand on flat ground above it, but I just didn't because I didn't know you no did point. that. I didn't know you had went there. That's amazing. Um, I tried. Yeah. And, but like the whole thing was, it's just fenced off and it looks like dirt. Like there's literally nothing above ground. So all it is, is, is garbage. As we know from being in Egypt, there's a lot of garbage out there everywhere. and a lot of sand. And that's, it looks no different than any other part of the desert because everything is completely buried underground. So it's like, it's pointless on it's like walking down the street accepting expecting to see the sewer pipes i mean yeah. what's the point at that point yeah. you know yeah that's but. the thing so many people like having traveled to egypt and peru i can tell you that you know uh, in lebanon um that people take the united states for granted and and uh in canada or the whole western world that's like complaining about everything and it's like these types of people have never traveled to a a country they never traveled anywhere but especially yeah. in these other countries where it's like we take trash cans for granted they don't there's trash everywhere because they don't have trash cans you know basically it's like it's just dirty they don't have the same sanitation systems that we do and i don't know i just feel like people need to travel more and realize how well, blessed they are you know there actually is a story behind that i'll go over quickly because i don't think everyone's gonna be super interested in it but they used to have pigs roaming the street in in cairo and the pigs really? would eat the garbage and oh. it, then um people within the country for obvious reasons said well they're filthy we got to get rid of these pigs so they got rid of the pigs and then the garbage all started piling up and they're like wait a second the pigs were eating all of it like tin cans and everything and yeah it's like what? it's pretty messed up I, I was talking to a guy who lived in egypt back when pigs were everywhere in the street but pigs are considered like the most filthy animal in like yeah. in the islamic faith so obviously that was gotten rid of but um, you know, with all that, all these places around the world are are connected via underground tunnels and underground cities. And, you know, one of the things I found so interesting, being able to go to like the Osiris shaft, um, which was just unbelievable. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be allowed back into the country after posting the video of it. But, you know, I think we all did. We both but did. They, never. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, they're very strict. You cannot do that. Yeah. Remember, I put my I had a, uh, a polo with a front pocket and I had my <laughs> cell phone and I put it in like this recording. Yeah, and I got away with it. I got 29 minutes of footage under there. Um, yeah, the Osiris Shaft, that was one of the... Yeah, you interviewed me right after we got out of there. I was like, that was one of the creepiest places I've ever been in my entire life. Oh, super there was weird. a vibe about it that I was not expecting. Like, this is one of the sites that I was most looking forward to going in. To anyone that's not familiar with the Osiris Shaft, it's located on the Giza Plateau between the Sphinx and the Second Pyramid, right underneath the causeway. It goes over 100 feet underground, multiple levels and chambers, dug straight out of the bedrock. This... and it's yeah. bizarre. There's human bones down there. Um, Which I didn't is, know until I was picking them up going like, oh, there's like chicken I, bones. And they're like, no, those are human. I'm like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, I stepped right <laughs> on them. I thought it was pottery shards. I didn't know. I mean, yeah. I couldn't see it. It's dark in there. You know, people are like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, no, you just couldn't see it. Um, I think there were like grave robbers or something. People like trying to, like tomb raiders from yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, these a couple were hundred like, years, I think, is what, yeah. I, you know, uh, not thousands of years from what I understand. But um, yeah. What, all right. So what was your impression of the the of the uh, Osiris shaft. Like I said, it was okay. the creepy vibe I had in there. I felt like something awful happened there. It just, well, I mean, even the big boxes uh, on the second one down, the second yeah. tunnel down, um, it was covered in like some oily goop. I remember yeah, it was like black this, goo. Yeah. It was like something like out of a horror movie out of the mummy or something. If you touch yeah. it, you're going to get like taken over by something. <laughs> but I mean, it was, I, okay. I, when I first found out about the Osiris shaft, it was probably about, 2016 or so and i i was just fascinated by this place because i remember seeing the nbc video or abc i forget which one from uh, the 90s when they went down there yep. um you know and and they they explored it and they kind of just covered it up after that didn't allow the public into it and uh you know 
Mr. Um, I don't believe in LIDAR scanning. Uh, yeah. Uh, he went down there with the reporter and there's a big archway there and he's like, Oh no, it's nothing. Well then why is there a, a stoned up archway? It just goes to nowhere. Like, come on. But um, it's one of the most amazing places in Egypt and very few people know about it. They'll walk right over top of it, not knowing on the way to the Sphinx it's between the Sphinx and the pyramid. And you know, they had obelisks on the third floor down. They had a little moat thing in the middle with, with a massive black, uh, a massive uh, stone box uh, submerged. And it, it, you know, as someone that believes that they utilize electromagnetic frequency and vibration uh, around the pyramids. And I think that um, obelisks are an example of this. We've, there's been studies in cloud chambers before where they've been able to use vibration like tuning forks with uh, miniature obelisks and have been able to make pebbles you know, float off the ground. People ask how are the pyramids built? I think that might be it. Um, I also think that the pyramids were power plants essentially um, that were concentrating energy. As we saw with the subterranean chamber at the great pyramid of Giza, it, it vibrates, um, you know, the water fills it up from the Nile, which used to go alongside it. And it vibrates uh, sound frequency up the shaft, up through the grand gallery, which looks like the inside of a battery. And you get to right by the King's chamber. And there's a little area where you could stand up, hum, and you could hear it all the way at the other side of the pyramid. Yeah. It's insane. And I, I, I digress a bit, but this is very similar to what I think I saw. Uh, and we all saw at, at the base of the, the Osiris shaft at the third floor down, though it was flooded, there were obelisks under there that they're miniature little obelisk things that yeah. we can't even really see. Like 10 feet tall, maybe it's hard to say eight feet tall. Something, you know, like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking like this Osiris shaft is really deep. Like it's, 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 <laughs> I was laughing when I say that, but uh, it's just because of, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, it's it's off. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. anyway, it took me I'm, a I'm second. Sure. I, yeah, yeah. Cyrus um, Shaft. Yeah, yeah, hilarious. You know, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm still ten, but you know, I, I get down there and it's uh, just these these uh, you know stones that are under the water submerged. There's cockroaches everywhere. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah, yeah. but they no, they could drain it, and they yeah, and they've drained it before. And the rickety old ladders going down there were terrifying. Dude, that we're was talking a long way. That was that was that was sketch. Yeah, that was sketch. They're like, like coming it, off of the wall. Man. Yeah, They're it was like, like rusted. Yeah, it's you know, oh yeah. Um, my God, it's surreal that we were in there together as well as the Great Pyramid. I remember us being <laughs> down in the subterranean chamber together. Oh, that was amazing. I um, had a really weird feeling down there. It just felt like everything, there's energy there. It's like a weird yeah. form of, like I felt almost sick after being down there. But, um, you know, all these things I believe are the origin structures to the Giza Plateau complex. Um, and the Acropolis around it. If you if you look at the um, architecture, for example, in Aswan, in the caves we went into, mm -hmm. um, and that you know they tunneled kind of deep into the caves, and there would be these funerary areas in these caves that we went to. Same with um, in the Valley of Kings. Um, uh, you could see the same thing in with the Osiris shaft. This this tunnel, this tunnel system under the Great Pyramid of Giza. You can find them basically going into and repurposed to some degree, I believe at the bent pyramid and red pyramid, et cetera. So you see these, these tunnels and you look at the archeology span around it and, and the, or the, the, not the archeology, span the architecture of it. And the more you study the architecture of it, the more you see similarities in other parts of the world. So for example, Petra Jordan, you have these tunnels that are boring into rock all over the place and the same architectural kind of, uh, approach that they use for these these tunnels and of course if you go up north you find them around syria and go into jericho's wall you they're underneath israel under the dome of the mound though our, our archaeology is 
banned, strictly banned. Any excavations are banned at that area. And then in Turkey, there's Darren Kuyu. And that was one of the things that blew my mind the most. Because in 2019, November 2019, I spent seven hours climbing through Darren Kuyu, which is one of 250 underground tunnel cities in Turkey, all right. interconnected. And people are just going to like pretend that there's nothing crazy about cities being interconnected all underground without a single example of cave-ins from the Black yeah. Sea to yep. Syria. Dude, and the people, same... You tell ahead. people... Well, I just see people haven't... A lot of people haven't heard of this. Yeah. These cities individual underground uh, caves that are like 15 to 18 uh, levels deep with ventilated shafts to the surface could sustain tens of thousands of people. Yep. Like this might be the arc. Like this is, I'm so excited that you got to go there. I would love to be able to go there. A any word if it's safe to travel there now? Like if I was to try to pull something? Yeah, no one's going to bomb underground tunnels. It's kind of the best thing about underground I meant, tunnels. I'm talking but... <laughs> flying into Turkey and flying out. Like I don't, because how far is Darren QU from the nearest Okay, so I'll put it this way. Turkey is extremely safe from my perspective anyway. I, I drove around it for like three weeks. I rented a car in Istanbul. Absolutely awful to drive in Istanbul. All the Google Maps are wrong because they change the streets every couple of years. It's insane. Oh. Um, definitely recommend getting a rental car from like uh, Ankara or something like that. But you can just drive around that country, go to all these ancient sites. They're mostly empty because no one seems to care. And they're just left alone. And this we're talking ancient Babylon. There's Mount Nemrut. There's Gobekli Tepe and Karahan Tepe, which I got to explore. It's crazy how much has been dug up since my documentary on Karahan Tepe in 2019. But, you know, in, in Darren Kuyu, 20,000 people were able to fit in that, in that place. There, it was 18 floors down. We're talking there's some tunnels that if you climb through and it would just end with a bottomless, seemingly bottomless, like 18 floor drop tunnel if you climbed and fell in and i almost did that you'd fall 18 floors to your death inside there it's a crazy place so bring a floodlight really i mean i i did a documentary there i never released a documentary and it drives me crazy and the reason is after seven hours of climbing through parts that are out of bounds by the way i snuck into areas of that, awesome. of that tunnel system that no That's one's awesome. ever got on video there is no light in there and you use the brightest of flashlights and it's like this weird energy in there where the light just dissipates after like a few feet and i remember uh my friend josh friedman was filming for me and i'm climbing through this tunnel my chest is on the ground the top of the tunnel's on my back it's about this wide on either side and i'm like I'll using pass. my fingernails to go through for I'll 25 pass. minutes and and pieces of rock are falling on the tunnel and my buddy is filming he's like dude like your bag keeps hitting the top you keep bumping i'm like yeah, well, I just want to see the end. By the way, when I saw the footage after, I almost threw up watching it. But I get out to the other side, and I just I didn't want to fall 18 floors like I almost did earlier. So I'm reaching down with my hands, and I feel rocks. So I kind of just roll out and do a little flip somersault onto my back um, in, into this room. We shine the light, and there was a cave-in, but it was a cave-in that was recent from a house above. But there was oh. – it, it was just – a part of the ceiling, a big rock came down and there's a pile of rock, which concerned me, which meant it was the only unstable room I'd seen in the, in the whole complex. And I look and there's stairs and a giant archway that's all bricked over. And I mean, bricked over a long time ago, there's like ancient stones bricking this thing up. Oh, wow. And I've always wanted to go into this thing, but I found a little room next to it that had a big aqueduct and it was never online. You can never, you cannot find any information on this thing. Um, it was going into a wall in a hole this big. I shouldn't put this over my eye because people will screenshot that and call me Illuminati. But uh, it's like a tiny little hole that this water was going through. And it was perfectly carved. And then down the line, it's going like this. And, and how, how did anyone cut that thousands and thousands of years ago? And again, we have two foot tall, two and a half foot tall stairs 
that we're dealing with to get up to this giant archway. And the only way in is through a tunnel where you'd have to be essentially a snake to get into. I, I, I barely got into the place. I was stuck in the tunnel a few times. So wow. none of it makes sense. And that's where I just immediately shift to David Icke. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely shapeshifters. But honestly, like there's something really strange about that site. And I believe that it does indeed connect to the cities in Iraq, the cities in, in Syria, the cities in uh, Jordan and uh, Lebanon and Israel and Egypt. And I'm a big firm believer that we have underground cities all over the world that are similar to this that we just have not found yet or are, of course, being covered up like the Hall of Records and all this other stuff. So mm. to me, it's absolutely fascinating. There's, again, 250 underground cities in Turkey connected. I right. mean, it's the idea that they get they're connected. It means that they have no reason to walk on the surface. They could just walk through tunnels from the Black Sea to Syria, which, by the way, is a 12 hour. It took me 12 hours to drive through all. Of that. Wow. So I feel like, like those things were an arc because like they had um, um, there was facilities within them that could support livestock. Correct. Like they, yeah. they dug all the way down to uh, natural springs and, and water, like an underground uh, river of some kind. Right. Like there's a, sp a stream. Like there's water down there, correct? Yeah, there is. And but one of the things that's really strange though is there's no examples of soot marks down there. Like no examples of people using flame down there. Mm. And I found that extremely interesting. And people yeah. say, well, maybe it was some kind of lizard creature that did all this stuff. Well, no, there's actual there is chisel marks. There are chisel marks on the walls. Right. And the further the you get down, the more um like new they look, obviously, because they are are obviously digging from top to bottom. Right. Um, but the the bottom floor of it um shows signs that it was was built about 5,000 years ago. Well, if you consider that being 5,000 years old and you go to the top layer and the 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 um, mark markings on the wall are so eroded in comparison just from wind, uh, you have to compare the two, consider um, you know the aging process of, of, of erosion. It, it has to be over 12,000 years old on the first floor. And those are the floors. That and the second are the ones that connect uh, to all these other cities. And that's where you find the craziest architecture uh, typically, as you see with any other place in the world, the oldest are the most amazing. Yeah. And you get into these tunnels that are just like, it's like the MC Escher stairs. Like you're just going down all these sideways tunnels. And it is, I, I cannot praise this place enough. I think everyone needs to go to Darren Kuyu. Oh. It's fascinating. How do I get there? All right. So let me, I have a few questions. Are there like guards there? Like do you pay to enter? Is there anyone following you around or am I allowed to explore? So, Here's a here's an advice for anyone there. First of all, just drive down, get a rental car, drive down there. The roads are amazing in Turkey, except for the nine-year-old Iraqi kids smoking and driving cars on the highway next to you. But other than that, it, the roads are amazing. It's it's super fast to get down there compared to other places with the with the distance considered. There's a lot of other things around there to check out. Darren Kuyu, you could drive in one day from Istanbul. It's a long drive, but you could do it. How long is um, long? Well, it depends which route you take. They're, they've created new roads. I, I I seem to remember it taking me like eight eight hours or so, seven or oh, eight. Oh, so it is a hike. This is a real hike. Yeah, but I mean, it's almost at the Syrian border. So, uh, but again, it's not to be worried about. There are there was a bombing when I was here, but nowhere near me. It it, it was targeted on police, and it was the ah! the the Kurdish versus Turkish government stuff, which has been going on forever and yeah. almost never affects um, uh, foreigners. But uh, you get to the site and you pay in a little booth. You pay. A, it's like, of course, they're going to make the most that they can out of it because Derinkuyu is an actual town near Cappadocia, which is connected to all those fairy, um, those fairy mountains with all the holes and tunnels in them and everything. 
Um, so if, if you, if you go with your wife and your wife says, Oh, I don't want to go to some ancient site, at least you can go on a hot air balloon ride, uh, in the next town over with her and make it up to her. But if you go to that site, you're going to be paying last time I checked, I think it was five to $10. Wow. You go in, there's going to be a guy down there. That's going to try and BS you about the place and, and follow you around. And he'll want a tip. Just tell him, leave me alone. <laughs> go away. Right. I'm good. Um, he's going to try and tell you the first room when you get in there is a winery. And the next one is a horse stable. And then it's, it's the next one is like, um, some, some room that they use to crush apples and grapes and it's just ridiculous. Are they just like pulling it out of their butts. Is there any evidence oh, yeah. that, yeah. Okay. They just, there's a, literally a water duct system coming through and it goes into this thing that, um, that goes along the walls and it, there are little buckets below them that it goes into. And they're like, yeah, they used it for wine. And it's because they found some chemical that they could, that they found in wine before that, okay. you know, this, the usual nonsense. Very little evidence, I see. Yeah. And uh, you get into places and they're like, this is a kitchen. And I'm like, this is a kitchen? So what, it's, it's a place with rolling rock stone doors that looks like an apocalypse bunker from yeah. 12,000 years ago. People need to ago. Google this. People need to Google Turkey Underground Caves, Darren Q. You, Turkey Underground Caves, yeah. Google image that and you should get an understanding of what we're saying here. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's and it's uh, honestly, it drives me crazy. I didn't go to more of these places. I think it could even connect to places near, um, uh, uh, you know, Gobekli Tepe because right. we've barely dug into the ground of Gobekli Tepe. So there are multiple, multiple civilizational uh, additions to what we know today underground, and we there's so many layers, and no one has peeled back those layers yet because there's all sorts of you know regulatory red tape, um, government bureaucracy nonsense, and of course. They say it's about protecting the ground and oh, because dry season versus wet season. But they've also put off digs for two decades now on Quebec La Tepe, where it was a perfect season. And they're like, oh, we don't have funding, but we do have funding, um, you know, for uh, putting everyone in the military here, doing this thing or that thing. I, I'm not going to, I shouldn't crit criticize Turkey because they don't like that. But um, yeah. again, they have the most amazing sites in the world. I urge everyone to um to go to places like Darren Kuyu, Karahan Tepe if you want no internet for a while and to be going down random roads using a map like the good old days yeah. um onto a farm with a hill definitely mm -hmm. urge people to do it it's an amazing adventure err in the side of danger every now and then and uh, enjoy enjoy the ex exploration because you really do feel like you are Indiana Jones after a while because no one's looking at these places no one's right. going to these places very and they're, few very and they're like few. the most you know significant historic sites in the world and no one cares it's yeah just, it's i want to go to darren qu i want to go to petra i want to go to i want to go to japan that's recently uh become high on my list and one because it's safe japan yeah. is so safe whereas like that region like thank god i got to Baalbek, lebanon when i could I can't you ain't going there now um <laughs> i'll uh, go there if, you, if someone sends me but uh yeah you can probably pull it off i, I think it's doable uh I did mauritania honestly. i mean <laughs> right. Um, well, the thing is about Leb uh, Baalbek, it is um, controlled by Hezbollah. That's yeah. the government there. And they are separate from the, the 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 Lebanon government. Like they're their own area and there's checkpoints, military, AKA 47s. Yeah. They're cool. I didn't feel unsafe for a second, but there's all kinds of shady stuff that goes down. But you got to be smart when you're out there. Like people that live there will get. Uh, they'll, they'll <laughs> So the guy that was that lives there, Dory, awesome guy. Uh, he was taking us around. One of his friends went there uh, and the Hezbollah people took his car um, and said, you come back in a week with $10,000, we'll give you your car back. And so he did. He gave him his car back. I don't know how insurance and all that works out there, but he apparently had no choice and gave him the 10 grand 
when the yeah, government like, here in Mexico who steals my car, when the government here in Mexico steals my car, I just paid them like $20 and I get it back. So 10,000 is pretty, pretty steep. Yeah. I don't know the whole story, but, um, it's, it's shady and you gotta be smart. Um, yeah. So, but like, you know, with this world, like we'll see what's going to happen here in 2024. I'd like to hear your predictions. Cause I think the world's going to get really crazy. I don't think they're going to allow the elections to take place um organically to where trump will be allowed back in office i think that they're going to steal it just like they stole 2020 and they're going to i believe that there's going to be an event between now and then i don't know exactly when maybe it's the summer maybe it's october but they're going to do something whether it's a cyber attack whether it's world war three whether it's another pandemic they're going to do something to be able to do their mail-in voting fraud scheme again and i think that there'll be some sort of an event that could potentially limit travel again it's almost like these airline industries or the airline industry as a whole, all the airlines are trying to like mess things up. It's like, they don't even want people to fly like, you yeah. know, this DEI shit yeah. and everything else. I'm like, it almost, so anyways, with that being said, if there's places to travel, um, Japan has some amazing ancient uh, relics there, stonework, monolithic stones. And so I'm like, I could get there. Um, you know, yeah. Japan's safe, but I, I think I need to do that. Like I'm actually making some plans. I'm, I want to pull it off in the next couple months, but, uh, but anyway, so what's your prediction for this year? So, you know, we're both conspiracy guys. We've talked about this ancient stuff. What do you predict com is coming? So, you know, I've been following this insanity um, of the New World Order since 2006. And uh, a lot thanks to the great work of Dr. Ron Paul uh, way back when um, waking me up to a lot of this stuff. And it started with economics and then it moved into like everything else. Everything from first it started with the Federal Reserve and then everything else. And then after a while, you realize absolutely everything is interconnected, even ancient civilizations that we're talking about a reset in ancient times. This is a modern day reset and it's all symbolic mm -hmm. and it's ritualistic. Um, what we're dealing yeah. with today is the end of a current civilization and the birth of another one, an intervening civilization that is extremely dangerous, but it's by design. Um, you know, the U.S. government has been propping up all the people that are now taking over for 100 years. China in the 70s with Kissinger, Russia in the 40s, Israel in the 40s, Iran in the 50s, uh, you know, you know, Vietnam in the, the 30s, which turned into the Vietnam War, Iraqi Baathist Party they armed and funded, uh, Al-Qaeda, Al you know, uh, the Mujahideen, ISIS, um, Taliban, all of these have been propped up by the U.S. government in the first place. Hamas was created by the West. I mean, all of these things were created to create organized chaos because out of uh, out of chaos comes order. And they need excuses to move into a new world order. We're seeing technocracy on a scale we've never seen before. They want us in a CBDC, a central bank digital currency. And this year, countless countries are putting them out. And in, in the mix of that, they can't just move into that. They need an emergency situation. Well, Q, the dollar collapsing. And of course, that was all by design. First, you weaken people with inflation over, over several decades. And then eventually, it, they know it's going to snowball. So they know they can move from that into a new system of governance out of a crisis. So when the dollar is collapsing, hey, everyone use this new CBDC that's based on BRICS, uh, the BRICS new world reserve currency, which is announced to come out this year at the BRICS summit. Right. And that's what, what month? Uh, I, I haven't seen the month yet. I, I know it's no. only a few months away. Um, I think it's right. a summer conference, but it, it's uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and now Egypt has joined. Uh, yep. Argentina did, but they pulled out. Um, Mexico is likely to end up joining this year, um, which means it's on the border of the US with the competition for the dollar. And Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Ethiopia joined as well, which is massive, mm -hmm. by the way, because Saudi Arabia is the petrodollar. So right. it's a massive move. It means end of the dollar, and then in comes the CBDCs. And now they're creating weather catastrophes everywhere. 
Um, they're blaming it on global warming. They're telling everyone to eat the bugs, that they're, that farmers are the bad guys, that they need to take down farms. Right. And eventually that destroys the supply chain. That forces us onto a carbon credit score to ration our foods. And it's like the perfect design on a CBDC. And on top of that, 15-minute cities. In uh, 2023, I went to Oxford, UK. I'm still working on a documentary on 15-minute cities. But I went there and, and documented what they were actually doing on the ground there. They already have a 15-minute city. They've put sensors all over the streets, cameras all over the streets. You can't drive anywhere. Um, there's zero emission zones. You get fined straight to your bank account from facial recognition. You, um, I mean, instead of driving five minutes, you're driving 15 minutes because, you know, the climate and stuff. It's just, it's insanity. And that kind of city is going to be based on a ledger, which the United Nations has already announced last year, that they want a ledger, a digital ledger worldwide that it tallies everyone's uh, social credit, carbon credit, everywhere they travel, everything they do, the money they spend, how much right. money they're allowed to spend or hoard, quote unquote. So it's, a com it's communist in nature. And yeah. on top of that, it will, you know, determine you know, things you've said on social media in the past. And the World Economic Forum was just talking about that at the recent conference. That will be all integrated with a global currency that's digital. And yes, people can resist it and, and we will win against Great Reset. But remember, Klaus Schwab said this two years ago, China is the role model for the Great Reset. And who propped up China and saved them from starvation in the 70s and created a, a monopoly in their favor so they can come in now with this new world reserve currency? Henry Kissinger, the guy who just died at 100 years old a few months finally, ago. Finally, yeah, I hate no. to say that, but like that, man, that guy. <laughs> just what awful. A, wow. Just awful. Right? And, yeah. and he he worked with uh, Mao Zedong to create this alliance, save them from starvation. Mm -hmm. China was about to collapse. Why wouldn't they want the communist government of China to collapse? They didn't, though. I mean, even under a Republican government, they didn't. Now, you know, let's fast forward with all this kind of stuff. We have an election this year. Civil war, very likely, manufactured, of course. They'll drive people against each other to distract them from the real enemies of humanity, which yeah. are literally these globalists that hate humanity, hate the idea of family, hate the idea of individual freedom and um, responsibility and you know self-sustainability. They hate these things. They want all of us on a robotic grid, utilizing money because people depend on the money in their bank account, and utilizing the food supply because people depend on grocery stores for food, while taking away all the guns. It is the perfect situation for them to bring in a, a reset. And with that, they're pumping everyone full of poison. Uh, they're they're fear-mongering about this new disease X, which I don't even think exists. I'm just- Yeah, I, I don't. Now. And I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not living in fear again. Like if, if I start seeing people bleeding out of their eyes and falling dead in the streets, I'll hunker down. You know what I mean? Like in the house, like I'll, I'll take, like I'm not a fool, but like until I see it with my own eyes, I'm not putting a, another mask back on yeah. ever. Well, I'm not even going to like just hunker down in my house. At that point, I'm going to be in the mountains smoking right. a Cuban cigar with a machine gun, like just yeah, making yeah. my own food, getting my own food and stuff. Because I'm like, if I'm in the big cities, they're going to be coming to my house saying, here's your bug ration or your modified RNA food ration. You have to yeah. eat this or else your credit score goes down and you can't eat for a week and say goodbye to your kids. You're going to have to sell them. I mean, that's kind of evil that we're dealing with today. And I believe yeah. that we're coming to the precipice of this. And it is a reset, the likes of which we saw in Atlantis. And one has to wonder, you know, what did they mean when they said that uh, Atlantis was struck down? What do they mean when they right. say that the, the Tower of Babel was was uh, destroyed? Um, it, what kind of destruction caused it? What led to the flood? What led to all these um, disasters in the past? It could be right. something from outer space. It could be 
that there was some kind of advanced technology. I mean, look at the melted stones at Tanis in, in Egypt. So, I mean, mm. I think there's something really, there's a lot, a lot more to this. And I think we're actually seeing the repeat of it today. And then those of us that survive, imagine bringing a cell phone into the jungle and finding a tribe that's never seen technology. And they're like, oh, you're a god now. They make drawings of you as a god. You're the advanced guy. And then right. they talk about it for generations after. You try to teach them everything you can. And it's lost to history. And then you have a bunch of mainstream academics, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 years later going, oh, these guys are crazy. No, it's it's only a few thousand years old. And it was done with uh, copper chisels. Like, yeah. that's how this kind of stuff goes down. And we're witnessing it in real time right now. Right. Yeah, we're, we're witnessing history be rewritten now. Like, if you read any type of, like, encyclopedia, Wikipedia, all these terrible things, you know, Everything is the, the mainstream narrative, which is objectively false in so many different examples. Like history as of right now would be written as COVID vaccine being a success or something like that. You know, the 2020 election was pure and, and authentic. You know, like that's yeah. that's what, you know, that's what they would, that's being, that is what's being written in, in, in the history. But I, that won't last forever. But what I'm very concerned about is that they're going to use like this technocracy, that they're going to weaponize the internet at such a level, like you said, with the CBDCs um, and you know, I think that they're going to have such control over our lives that you'll, you know, this is the mark of the beast stuff. You yeah. know, they talk about you won't be able to trade in the Bible. It says you won't be able to trade in the marketplace unless you take the mark of the beast. And I'm like, mm -hmm. they're going to make CBDCs the law to where you won't be able to trade in gold. They're going to make, uh, you know, Bitcoin illegal, I suspect. They're going to make, they're basically going to require that the only way you could possibly spend money is to use that. They're going to bankrupt the economy. They're crushing the dollar as we speak. And then they're going to get people to a point where I think they're going to beg for it. Because a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to resist. I'm not going to go along with that. Well, once they have, you know, people's kids are starving. Once things have got bad enough, I think that's what the play. They well, get actually, people desperate for it and begging for it. Like, please save yeah. me. I'll worry about it later. Jimmy, you said something like bang on there with, uh, I'm not going to go along with that. But, well, look at what happened during the COVID stuff. Uh, all these people said I would never allow them to come in and inject everyone and force me to get injected for work. Right. You, it, like, and I feel bad for a lot of these people, but like, look at how many people did. And a lot of people just got shots just to go to their favorite pub for like two weeks before they took away the restrictions. It's right. insanity. So yeah. if people say today they wouldn't go along with it, we'll see. But also keep in mind that everyone's dependent on the banks. And when they yeah. say you can't eat and you have no access to your money, people will go along with it. And that's why I've been trying to say in my media, World Alternative Media for years, we have to go and actually get you know gold, silver, in my opinion, not investment advice. Uh, I think privacy coins are important because you mentioned they'll ban all these things later in order to access the things that they won't allow you to have, including firearms in, in a, a dystopian far off future, not that far off where right. they um, put everyone in a Logan's Run type dome civilization, 15-minute cities, et cetera, yeah. with checkpoints. This is a real thing. If they can, they will, so they will. You yeah. need to have alternative money. I like I like privacy coins. Uh, I'm a big supporter of privacy coins because I can get around um, th these manipulation tactics. Can you explain what privacy coins are? So they're completely encrypted. Um, the uh, you know the NSA, the uh, Pentagon, and all these other um, you know government uh, governments and organizations and, and three-letter agencies and four-letter agencies have not been able to crack the code of some of the major uh, privacy coins. So it started off with Monero. I'm a fan of Epic Cash um, because Epic Cash is this, it's built on this thing called the Mimblewimble uh, protocol, which it's basically a copy of Bitcoin, but it's not but it's not tra trackable and traceable. Bitcoin is very trackable and traceable, and I wouldn't recommend it overall long-term wow. unless you're just personally investing in it. Um, and people need to have 
untraceable money. So I'll give you an example. And I can't mention them by name because it could get people in trouble. But there was a guy years ago that I knew, multi-billionaire, and he invented a certain privacy coin. Um, and it wasn't Epic Cash, just to be clear. <laughs> I don't want to get my friend in trouble because it wasn't him. But um, he he was um, indicted by the U.S. government for a billion dollars in so-called tax evasion. They claimed that he evaded a billion dollars in taxes. And he was extradited to the United States. And he got off the charge by saying, I lost it all in a boating accident. And they, and, and they said, prove it. And he said, prove that I'm wrong because you cannot audit something that is completely untraceable, encrypted, and uh, it doesn't seem to exist outside of the person using the, 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 the private keys in their wallet at that moment. To me, I think that's incredibly innovative in a, in a world that we're walking into uh, based in technocracy where nothing is private, everything is surveilled 24 seven, and you are ending up, you know, enslaved to this technocratic transhumanist system where they make little kids, uh, you know, the opposite gender while telling you that if you want your bug rations, you have to get a carbon credit score and, and not say bad things about the government. I don't want to live in that world. And, yeah. you know, once it happens, it's easy once it happens for everyone to go, yeah, this is a reality. But then they can't get out of their cage. They're stuck in their cage. You need to get prepared before it happens, not after. And it's not about fear mongering. It's not about grifting or selling. It's about actually just being human. Humanity is based on individualism, self-responsibility, freedom. It's synonymous. Freedom isn't something you hold in your hands. You are free or you're not, depending on your personal decision making on uh, a moment by moment basis. If you today have food, water, shelter, and self-defense ready, if you today are not crushed into a big city in the middle of a metropolitan area that could easily be locked down, you are much better off later. If you have storable foods, if you have competing currency, uh, you know, free monies like gold and silver and, and privacy coins, I think that you are going to fare a thousand times better than everyone else. Make sure to have that defense because people are going to be jealous of you later. And it allows you to branch out when they say all roads lead to Rome, we then create another road. And that road doesn't go to Rome. It goes around the Tower of Babel. It goes around this great reset. And the, the idea is it's bumpier. It's less convenient. It's slower. But it's it's the way that humanity must go in order to survive what's coming because tyranny comes under the guise of convenience. And that's why right. this technocracy has become so prevalent and so just accepted and normalized that we're letting robots do all of our work for us. We're letting robots do the elections. We're letting robots sort our money and decide when, when we can't have money. And we're letting them drone bomb with complete um, discriminatory powers where they don't have to depend on a human to say yes or no now in places like Iraq or Syria to a, a, a bombing, just indiscriminate bombing by robots. Wow. That sounds like Terminator to me. And yeah. I don't want to live in that world. I'll pass. Real quick, so what part of Mexico do you live? Uh, I live in Puerto Vallarta. Um, I'm going to be moving out of here pretty soon, but I live currently in Puerto Vallarta. Where, are you moving out of the country? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having to. I'm going to uh, the UK. I am planning to do some work with uh, with David Icke and an iconic network. So, oh, I'm, right on. I'm going to be in the UK for a little while. Yeah. Cool. So, if like for Americans listening, if they were to wanted to to leave, like I, I'm very concerned about the direction of the United States. And I'm like, do I stay here? Like, I, I feel like I should stay here and fight for this country. But if to any Americans that are looking for a safe haven in the world to live, like, do you rent, do you recommend Mexico or are there other places? Would you live in Russia? Like what, what are the places around the world that you think are, are the quieter spots when all this madness kicks off with bricks and central banking, digital currencies, like where, what corner of the earth could I go live a peaceful, quiet life and be left alone if I wanted to be? Look, I will put it this way, and I've and people might be surprised by hearing me say this, but I've been running for years 
And I, I'm going to tell people right now, don't run. It, it's you're, there's nowhere, honestly, it just don't yeah. be in a big city. I, I know that's depressing, but I mean, I try to take it from someone who's been in 41 countries, 31 in the last uh, few years, 41 countries traveling all over the world, looking for that freedom. You find it in community. And when I came mm. to Puerto Vallarta, we had a community of 3,500 people against lockdown here. We were able to shut down the Vax Pass. We went a business. I went to 86 businesses in a few hours or in one day, I should say more than a few hours door to door, having to explain to my wife after why I have a whole bunch of strip club stamps all down my arm because th those are the places that were enforcing this kind of stuff. So I had to go and talk to the owners of all these businesses and bars and restaurants and theater venues, et cetera. 86 businesses. I got most of them to drop the Vax Pass within a few days. And I got really? a lot of thanks from a lot of business uh, owners. And I couldn't have done that without the motivation of a really large community. Mm -hmm. I started, like, I, I didn't start the community, but a uh, few people did. And I tried my best to build onto it. I did videos on it. And thousands of people moved here. And by the middle of, um, well, the beginning of yeah. And by the beginning of 2022, we had 3,500 people here. We did, wow. we did meetups where 150, 160 people would show up on a Sunday just to have drinks. And we had to keep getting bigger venues and wow. it blew up. It was amazing. We were able to have a huge impact in Puerto Vallarta and um, the locals were so cool. And almost every Mexican you talk to um, hates the government, uh, mm. despises COVID restrictions, never went along with it. Um, very low vax rate here. And actually you'd be surprised how many of them like Trump, they just don't like his immigration policy. That's like, if you talk right. to Mexicans here, it's basically that. So it, it's really interesting. It's, it's not what mainstream media and in in, on television in the United States uh, claims. It's not like in the, on the borders where all the danger is. It's it, we're talking Puerto Vallarta. We haven't had, we've had peace for 17 years, knock on wood. It's going good so far. Um, and I've walked around every night up to like 2 AM, 3 AM along rivers, just hiking around, around the area. Never had an issue. No one's ever robbed me again, knock on wood, but I've, I, every other city I've ever lived in, I had issues. I've had issues and I love Arizona, but I've had issues in Arizona. We, mm. we can't turn a blind eye to, you know, uh, people like the addicts everywhere that we're seeing. Yeah. On the streets. Yeah. Um, many come from Canada, many come from California, but many just impoverished because of the federal reserve system, impoverishing everyone. Yeah. Um, you have, and then the COVID policies, but I would even say, even in Canada, you go to the middle of nowhere, you go to a small a town, form a community and build as a, a small community, because there's an old rule that says, once you get over about 80 to hundred people, people will stop agreeing on things and you'll get fights and you'll be fractioned off into multiple different groups. Uh, the mm. word of thumb is basically um, around 80 people in a community. You just grow it, get meetups going put posters up, tell people, Hey, we're freedom oriented. We love freedom. We're, we're not, we don't fall for mainstream media propaganda. We're going to meet up and talk about things and have discussions. Not everyone's going to agree, but it gives you a, a safe haven in the face of this. I've been running for years and I I'm telling people it's not worth running. And I never ran out of fear. I ran to, you know, live freely. It was like, I don't want to be inconvenienced by a bunch of psychopaths telling me what to do in right. 2020. They said, you know, you, you, um, you can't travel. So I'm like, well, I'm going to 31 countries. You know, when, when they do that kind of stuff, I just, I'm, I'm a voluntarist. I withdraw, I do my own thing, uh, but I do think community is incredibly important. Having some roots is incredibly important. Yeah. And I've done that in Canada. I've done that in Las Vegas, Arizona, and Puerto Vallarta to some degree in Montenegro and, um, in places like, uh, like Egypt. And of course yeah. in, uh, in the UK. So, you know, it's all about the people around you, the people, the family that you create, because a lot of people watching right now 
probably lost family members to the propaganda. Um, mm. They were called crazy. Their friends stopped talking to them. But we're, you're not alone, and you're over 50% of the planet if you really go on the ground and talk to people. Form communities, withdraw from the system, build your own, grow your own, and you will live a, a very good, healthy life. And, and you know, we're going to see things get worse before they get better. 2024 and 2025 are going to be awful. In fact, yeah. I don't think it's going to get better before 2030. However, you start building this stuff today, have some patience, have some faith in God, just withdraw a bit from that technocratic society and the conveniences. Start building. I haven't had a phone in a, a couple of weeks now. And for the first two days, I was going crazy because I broke my screen. It's, they want like $500 for a new screen. <laughs> Insane. And I just put it away. And, you know, I haven't even gone to any stores to look for a new screen because I'm like, this is nice. I'm walking around. I I'm forced to like talk to people and, you know, mm. look at the view and the scenery and the mountains. I think that's a really positive side of this. And we will build a bright, beautiful new civilization from the ashes uh, of this reset, which will collapse. They have to finish building the Tower of Babel before it could fall, my friends. So they're, mm. they're, they're still, it's under construction. Withdraw from it, build your own. And when it all comes tumbling down, we're going to be the new uh, generation of people that rise from the ashes that we talk about from thousands of years ago. Now we're going to be those people. And we have the most beautiful, amazing opportunity any humans in recent history have had. So we should all be uh, blessed by that and, you know, work with, with what we have. And because we're not getting out of it, it, there's no way out of this world alive. So let's build the best possible free civilization we can. And our multiple generations that follow will be very happy we did. Well said. I really like that. Um, we're about at an hour and a half. Um, what else would you like to chat about before we close up? Any last thing? You wanted to promote something, by the way. Share, please share. Yeah, yeah. So I have a channel on YouTube called Ancient Wonders. Now, it's the one with my face as a, as a photo because everyone keeps stealing my name and, and like reposting other people's videos. I'll bring it up. Keep, yeah. keep talking. So it's Ancient Wonders. It's my face as the image uh, for the photo. I, I wanted to start, like, I'm not happy with YouTube. Um, YouTube took down my channel with 155,000 subscribers back in October 2020. And as soon as I made this account, uh, they they demonetized me for hate speech for an interview I did with Jimmy, which all we did, we, we talked about guns and and they're like hate speech and took it took uh, uh, down the, demon, the, the monetization. Um, I, I, you know, have world alternative media on all these different platforms, Rumble, Twitter, all that. But I really want to help grow this Ancient Wonders uh, channel. Um, where I'm, I will be posting a bunch of exclusive documentaries. Believe it or not, I have 48 never-before-seen documentaries, uh, plus another 37 documentaries that I posted on my last channel that I'm reposting slowly uh, on this channel. So again, I, it's just having that support from people like you out there and and pressing you know subscribe, hitting that notification bell helps me uh, you know get back into the ancient stuff because the ancient stuff is what I really love the most, and the COVID stuff made it impossible for me to just focus on that in 2020. I was like pulled down this rabbit hole where I was screaming from mountaintops trying to warn people before they injected their kids. So at that point, I was like, I need to do something about that. And it totally destroyed everything I, I was working on with ancient civilization. So um, yeah, there's ancient wonders. And then of course, my Rumble World Alternative Media and Twitter or slash X at World Alt, Alt Media helped me a lot because trying to get this information out to new audiences. Jimmy, you've been awake about ancient stuff for a long time and you've been awake about all of these other things as well. And your way of integrating all of that into one channel with such a, 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 a huge following is just a beautiful thing because it's it's saving lives. And I've, I've been saying this for a long time. Those that have audiences have a responsibility to speak the truth. And you've been doing that. And I think that a lot of people are a lot better off because of it. That's 
that's what that's the thing. I'm like a lot of people like Jimmy, why are you talking politics? I'm like, first of all, I'm not talking politics. This is history. Yeah. Uh, this politics history. stop. I, I tell people, stop using the word politics. That no longer whatever that once was, no longer exists. We're now living in a time of right and wrong and good versus evil. Absolutely. And corruption has run rampant. And I remember thinking to myself, my original goal, I'm like, I want to build build a big YouTube channel and drop truth bombs. And you know, having the the following that I have, I feel like I have an obligation to speak up. Not everyone will listen, but some, you know, I'm going to catch some ears and I'm like, I just feel like it's a responsibility that I can't yeah. use this, you know, th this large following and not use it to spread and, and waking up some minds to like the abject tyranny that we're falling ourselves into. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things I really like to kind of get out of, you know, having a channel on ancient things um, because we're seeing the repeat of the old again. Having that allows me to also get more people that are interested in ancient civilizations uh, watching the channel and then i could just be like also hey check out world alternative media over here and then right. i could hopefully branch off a lot of people to who are curious about things that are currently happening so that's that's all very important i find and uh so yeah we have i have age ancient wonders i have an interview with jimmy on that channel and uh i i have like i said 37 um ancient civilization documentaries that i've already done i'm going to start putting them back up on there i have my channel josh sigurdsson on youtube which i was putting them up on but i was getting absolutely attacked for having that channel like I just i was getting every video that i post gets taken down immediately so i, I think having my name on a channel is a bad idea at this point but, yeah you're on the list my friend yeah. the algorithm the ai knows who you are and yeah, I, heard, absolutely. I, I just posted the link a couple times in the chat guys do josh a solid go hit the subscribe button i included the link takes two seconds um and and, and show them the love that way um, yeah, absolutely. I've already gotten 200 new subscribers on there since you mentioned it just now. So I really appreciate really? anyone oh, that goes bro. on there. And I'm post uh, it again. Here we go. Because, you know, like, again, I ha having 155,000 subscribers on YouTube and then just every, all, every bit of work I did, including my reshot structure documentary, getting ripped out of my hands. It was tragic. And it was all for bullying Amy Schumer, according to them, on my original channel. They said, because <laughs> I called her an aristocrat that talks down to her viewers and is like a far left aristocrat or something like that. They, they took it down as hate speech. And when I went up against them and said, that's not hate speech. They then withdrew their position and said medical misinformation for saying um, that it that you know the COVID isn't something that it came from bats, and so they said that was medical misinformation. Took it down for that reason, and then I challenged them on that. It was my final time challenging. I'm not allowed to after that. They then switched it back. Said you're right. It isn't medical misinformation. It's Amy Schumer again. They just switched it back to the original thing. Wow. I mean, we're talking like these people, I never broke the terms of, of service or anything on there. I never had a strike on that channel. And they took it down. So, you know, it's nice to have, like, I, I still reach about 10 million viewers across all the other platforms uh, each month, but it is, it's been difficult um, because I, I get funding um, through, you know, monetization. I, I haven't had monetization in years now. And it allowed me to go and travel to places and investigate ancient sites and do all this kind of stuff, investigate or go in the middle of protests like I did in Italy in 2021 and um, places like the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it, being able to have that, it's just it's instrumental. I'm about to give up my house because of all this stuff. But, you know, I've always said it makes me proud. I, I always said when I started this channel, when I started World Alternative Media, I said, I, I, I'll end up on the streets. I'm still going to make videos. I'll find a way, even if they're less and far between you know when you have a calling to wake people up wake the masses up and get your information out there and uh hopefully save lives in that because it's all about the impact and how it 
it, it, it waters down over time, over multiple different generations. It's, it's phenomenally important to do this today, now, not later when it's all in hindsight. So we need to warn people what's going on today, Jimmy. And I know you're, you're doing an amazing job of that. I'm doing my best that I can on that. And I really appreciate your support over the years because you're one of the first people outside of the, the mainstream, like the, the, the conservative or not the conservative conspiracy sphere. You, you were talking more about ancient civilizations. You're one of the first big channels that weren't just completely focusing on conspiracy theories all the time. You're talking about a whole bunch of different issues. You're I one did. of the first that actually brought yeah. us, yeah, brought us was, in and helped us. Um, appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, well, brother, I'm excited. I see you just passed over the 2000 uh, subs, Mark. Sweet. People are awesome. I hope people will continue to hit the subscribe on that. I always appreciate the support. Yeah. Yeah, man. Absolutely. We should do this again. I'm all for it. And, you know, come on my show again anytime. Yes. I, I still feel good about, you know, getting the first ever interview with you years ago. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I got, I got the first in, one. In Egypt in person? In, in Edfu. Yeah. It was right in front of Edfu, I believe. Yep. Yep. And yep. I had never done one. And there we were on, on location to where the Atlantis texts or some of them may have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. It's uh, it's 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 been a long time that I've been following your stuff, and I really appreciate everything you do. And you know, uh, I, things would be very different for me if it weren't for that Atlantis video because uh, it wouldn't have brought me to the strangest freaking place I've ever seen in my life, and yeah. uh, allow me to risk my life, but for all the right reasons in you know these crazy places all over the world. Well, it's you the were the thing first that to me go to. there. You were the first. Yeah. Well, other people have been to the wrist shop, but I mean, yeah. when I made the videos, and you went. And you got some awesome shots and you showed just how dangerous and precarious it is to make that journey. And you did it. And then when you tasted that salt off the ground, it was so epic. And it, it, it did a lot of help for me, too, to be able to show people like, hey, listen, like you need to look at this. Yeah. Um, and I want to give a big shout out to David Stig Hansen, by the way, who's gone yes. more than me. And he's just like a hero going back there every all, all the time. I mean, yeah. he, he's working really hard uh, on it. And he doesn't uh, get the... Um, the the viewership that he should have and i think that i mean he is risking his life going over there and uh right. i really appreciate him um for all that he does as well you know all, all this stuff led to you know going to turkey going to all these other places for me and then bumping into you in egypt it's all synchronicity and you know what was really interesting jimmy is meeting in egypt and talking to all the other people that came on that tour and basically mm -hmm. everyone was awake and, and yeah. it really just showed yeah. me back in 2021 or 2020 it gave me a lot of faith in where we're going with all this so that was a really good experience and uh yeah hope to hope to you know go and maybe travel to the reshot with you someday and find that's our way over the there that's it's on the list high up on the bucket list for myself and uh yeah. hopefully we can work something out in the next uh year maybe two hopefully sooner we'll see what happens but that's yeah let's try it out right on all right brother well let's do this again thank you so much for your time this is a great conversation and um until next time Good to see you. Thank you. You too, brother. Bye, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. <laughs>